0: Hello, I'm Danine Erasmus. Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Wrap. To our first time listeners, this is a podcast in which I will tell you about some of the top news and articles from the latest edition of Farmers Weekly magazine. We also take a look at some of the trending topics for the week from our online platforms. It has been another week of no business for tobacco farmers, wine producers, brewers, and now schools will be closing again as well. For many in the farming industry, it is becoming extremely difficult to remain optimistic, as government seems bent on steering the country into an ever more turbulent future. The latest in a string of questionable decisions was the announcement published in the government notice on 16 July by the National Disaster Management Centre which repealed the classification of the widespread drought as a national disaster. Yes, some parts of the country that have been suffering from what many have described as the worst drought in more than a hundred years, have received rain and snow during the past few weeks, but as any farmer will tell you, it doesn't rain grass. The rain has not erased the damage wrought by years of drought, it has not replenished fodder stores, It has not washed away the debt farmers have incurred to keep their farms from falling into bankruptcy, and it did not turn barren landscapes into lush felt overnight. It will take multiple seasons for farmers in drought-ravaged areas to see some real recovery. By denying farmers support at this critical time, the National Disaster Management Centre has put at risk jobs and livelihoods of many more farmers, farm workers, as well as entire rural communities that rely on the economic activity that agriculture powers. We will come back to the story later in the program. First, let's take a look at some of the main articles from our 31 July issue, which will be in stores from 24 to 31 July. This week, readers of the magazine can learn more about tractor tires and traction. In an article that focuses on the effect of tire pressure, and tractor ballasting on fuel efficiency and productivity. Also read about why art fark numbers are dwindling in the Kalahari and how bush encroachment is threatening the Eastern Cape's livestock industry. Farmers Weekly journalists write about the work being done by members of the community in Sutherland to support farmers who are struggling due to the drought and also about a farmer who has adjusted his livestock management strategy to emphasize maintaining reproductive health in a herd. The issue also features an article on the future of South Africa's shrinking groundnut industry and what needs to be done to see production of this crop increase again. In our main article this week, Farmers Weekly contributor Stian Kluter discusses the effects of tire pressure and tractor ballasting on fuel efficiency and productivity. He writes that the fourth industrial revolution has perhaps made farmers feel that the only way to advance in productivity is to invest in the latest technology. In part, that is true, but says Kluter, based practices and experience is still very relevant to a successful farming enterprise. With farmers in the summer cropping regions, now into the land preparation phase, it will be good for them to ensure that their tractors are able to put all their power on the ground, says Cloutin. Traction is largely determined by the available friction between the tire and the surface it operates on. The friction can in turn be increased by adding weight or by selecting the appropriate tire design. Before land preparation activity kicks off, It is important to be aware that if the tire pressure and ballasting of the tractors are not set up correctly, this activity can be much more costly. According to Kluter, by ensuring that you operate at the right tire pressure, you can save fuel, improve area covered in a day, and decrease soil compaction that has a direct effect on yield. The combined cost-saving of this can be as much as 14%. Recent severe drought cycles and failure to develop new cultivars have resulted in the South African groundnut industry finding itself in a precarious position. But according to groundnut producer Lawrence de Cook and Audrey Bueta, who is the chairperson of the South African Groundnut Forum, there is still a lot that can be done to turn the tide. South African farmers planted nearly 100,000 hectares of groundnuts at the turn of the century, but by around 2010, this had decreased to roughly 57,000 hectares. Boota ascribes the decreasing trend not only to droughts, but also to steep competition from other crops, particularly soybeans beans and maize. She says, though, that producers remain keen to plant groundnuts, but over and above the droughts, production was highly labor-intensive, and many producers chose to leave the industry because of these exorbitant labor costs when compared to other crop options. These costs, then, coupled with the drought, as well as the lack of drought-tolerant, short-growing cultivars, and the extremely high mechanization costs resulted in many producers opting for alternative crops. Hueta says new cultivar development is crucial to ensure ongoing, sustainable and profitable groundnut production in South Africa, as the country currently lacked shorter growing cultivars that would allow producers to stretch the optimum planting window, which currently lasts from about October to November. With shorter growing cultivars, this period can be stretched by about a week or two either way. Then also drought tolerance, higher yield and nematode resistance are among some of the other important traits that must be selected for in the development of new cultivars. The good news is that the Agricultural Research Council recently registered two promising new cultivars, namely Aquaplas and Seliplas with about three new cultivars reportedly also in the pipeline. However, a report by the Bureau for Food and Agricultural Policy, which focused on the trade competitiveness challenges that the groundnut industry is facing, the industry was also at the mercy of inconsistent tariff applications. For example, according to the report, local processors are facing an import duty of around 10% on imported groundnuts, yet peanut butter or roasted peanuts are imported and landed in South Africa virtually duty-free. Due to this import duty regime, the BFAP report says groundnut butter imports are rapidly increasing. Due to this import regime, peanut butter imports are rapidly increasing and consequently putting pressure on the local processing industry. Let's now look at a drought story of a slightly different kind. Dr. Nora Weyer and other researchers from the Wildlife Conservation Physiology Laboratory at the University of Witwatersrand have found that art fox feeding in the daytime during droughts might be a sign that these animals are starving. Art occur across most of sub Saharan Africa but very few people have seen one because they are solitary, mostly active at night and live in burrows. However, seeing art feeding in the day is becoming more common in the drier parts of southern Africa. Dr. Vea and her team studied art living in Tswalu, a reserve in the Kalahari that lies at the edge of the art distribution, assisted by satellite imaging that showed her how droughts affected vegetation. They was able to connect changes in fog behaviour and body temperature to what was happening in the environment. The research confirmed earlier findings by the team that there are times when the fogs switched their feeding to the day and showed for the first time that drought caused this switch. The Kalahari is arid at the best of times but drought killed the vegetation that fed the ants and termites that the artfork in turn fed on. It was heartbreaking, said Vea, to watch the fox waste away as they starved. She said, Artforks have coped with the Kalahari's harsh environment in the past, but it is getting hotter and drier, and the current and future changes to our climate might be too much for the fox to bear. Let's move on to some of the top news from the 31 July issue. The recent reintroduction of rolling blackouts or load shedding across South Africa by electricity utility ESCOM has been met with great concern by agricultural producers who are heavily reliant on electricity to operate. The poultry sector faces significant losses due to the blackouts and according to Isaac Breitenbach, General Manager of the South African Poultry Association's boiler Organization, it was a logistical nightmare that increased costs for the industry, especially poultry abattoirs. He said an abattoir that slaughtered about 1 million chickens a week could face losses of up to 150,000 rand per hour during blackouts. Breitenbach added that not all abattoirs had generators, which created serious problems. Breitenbach added that not all abattoirs had generators, which created serious problems. The abattoirs that do have generators needs a large number of them, he said, which uses a lot of diesel and further adds costs. Poultry producers are then faced with the challenge of either product loss or increased costs. The South African agriculture industry has also had to endure various logistical constraints in recent times, with the most significant being a diesel shortage, which has only recently begun to ease a bit. According to Dr. John Purchase, CEO of Agbiz, the maize harvesting process had been delayed as a result of the diesel shortage as well as the delivery of maize to silos and mills, along with the distribution of maize meal to retail stores. The trucking of especially export citrus and other fruit to various ports has also been hampered by insufficient diesel supplies, Purchase said. He explained that a number of factors had led to the diesel supply shortage, ranging from the closing down of most refineries during the initial hard lockdown period, to vandalism and theft from the major and subsidiary fuel pipelines, causing shutdowns and congestion in the Durban Harbour, as the limited diesel supplies were being transported to the interior of the country. Purchase pointed out, however, that according to reports from ACBA's members, diesel supplies and availability were improving considerably, especially at wholesale level. Shortages will however still be experienced, primarily at retail level, as companies battle to catch up on the backlog created. Senior economist at Grain S.A. Lowe said that the organization's members had not yet experienced any improvement on the ground, and some were running very low on diesel. He added that the recent transport strike had exacerbated the distribution of diesel to many retail points. Let's now quickly take a look at some of the top-performing news stories from our website this week. The government has been widely criticised for the decision to revoke the classification of the droughts in parts of South Africa as a national disaster. As I mentioned earlier on in this podcast, the notice was published recently in the Government Gazette. AgriSA said in a statement that it was of grave concern that the National Disaster Management Centre ignored the fact that large parts of the western, eastern and northern Cape provinces continue to suffer from the effects of the longest drought in 100 years. In a statement, AgriSA called on the National Disaster Management Centre to make public those research and related data that led to the declaration being repealed. TAUSA's General Manager Benny Fonseil said that even during the National Drought Disaster Declaration period, government did little to support the country's farmers, who produced most of the food for its citizens. Fonseil said that whether a national disaster is declared or not, farmers would still sit with an absent government that in no way plays a role in stabilising agriculture. The sad thing, said Fonseil, is that the rationale behind this repeal may rather be explained by the fact that the state is not in a position to help in any way because the fiscus has been drained either through misuse of funds or through corruption. Agribusinesses GWK and VKB have announced they have started negotiations recently about a possible partnership and synergy following approval from the company's respective boards. Chris van Rensburg, CEO of VKB, said the process was still in its infancy and no decision has been made yet. Van Rensburg said the two businesses were some of the few agribusinesses that were still fully owned by agricultural producers. He said the two entities therefore shared a mutual culture based on producer ownership and this formed the ideal platform for possible cooperation. He added that the process had nothing to do with the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact thereof on the South African business sector. Profit margins in the agricultural value chain were already under pressure before the start of the pandemic. According to him, agribusinesses had to weigh up options to become more streamlined in order to stay sustainable and profitable. That was it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Weekly Wrap. Join me again next week when I will be discussing some of the features from the 7 August issue, with articles on how a Western Cape farmer achieved a record-breaking canola yield, and a partnership between farmers and environmental organizations in the Overberg that is helping protect the last remaining parts of critically endangered renosterfell. We also feature some young farmers in Kuruman, who are making a difference in their communities through an innovative approach to cooperative farming, which includes a sheep stockfell. Readers can also look forward to an article by one of South Africa's best known veterinarians, Dr. Dani Widendahl, who shares his 12-month herd management and traceability plan for livestock farmers. In the meantime, remember to follow us on social media for all the latest farming news updates. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Farmers Weekly SA. Stay safe and happy farming.